You are about to take part in a session from a Discipleship Bible School held at YWAM Richmond in the spring of 2022, and we are so grateful you are here. So much prayer went into every element of this course, from recruitment to content editing, and we are convinced you will leave this knowing God a little deeper. The Discipleship Bible School, or DBS, is an opportunity to survey the entirety of Scripture to discover God's redemptive plan for all of humanity. Over the course of 12 weeks, teachers explored the Bible section by section, not only to deepen students' understanding of what was written then, but reveal what we are being invited into now. If you like what you are hearing, visit ywamva.org to discover what courses we are offering, ways you can journey with our team, and other content created to help you know God and make Him known. Everything you hear was created as a step of faith by a team of YWAMers and volunteers who felt God inviting them to capture the DBS in its entirety, over 120 hours of content. If this content blesses you, consider supporting future schools and content by giving at ywamrichmond.org donate. Thank you so much for listening, and we can't wait for you to experience God today. So um, Habakkuk and both uh, Zephaniah, they were written in Josiah's time. So I am not going, going to go over the, uh, the historical uh, information because we already covered that. Um, and some people think that this book and Nahum well, used to be one book and separated somehow. So um, yeah, he's a contemporary of Jeremiah, Zephaniah. Um, and genre-wise, you know, it's a um, prophecy, and of course there's a lament. We talk a lot about mm -hmm. lament, so I'm not going to cover that either. Structure is interesting, because Habakkuk complains, and then God responds. Then Habakkuk was shocked about God's response, so he um, has a second um, complaint, actually. It says lament. And then um, Yahweh answers, so God answers. And then God, in, in God's answer, there's five woes, and it ends with a prayer. So very simple and you know, um, clear structure, unlike Jeremiah. So I'm very grateful for that. Um, and the message, is um, so there is a question of a theodicy. Do you guys know what theodicy means? So the term is used to um, express when God shows himself in the hum human world or when God's um, presence is uh, shown through judgment. So theodicy in the national crisis um, involving the fall of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple, and the exile. So there is a question about God, why, right? And so Habakkuk was living between the promise of God and the uh, fulfillment. So it was the same situation as we discussed about uh, the Jeremiah. And he was asked to wait until the consummation of the fulfillment of the promise. So that's a difficult time when you're waiting. Right? Um, so to compare Zephaniah and Habakkuk, 
Um, so that is Kaiser, very uh, famous theologian, said this. If Zephaniah stressed humility and poverty of spirit as prerequisite for entering into the benefits of the company of the believing, so Zephaniah, which we will cover after Habakkuk, stresses humility and poverty of spirit. Habakkuk stresses faith as the prerequisite of uh, you know um, waiting God in, in waiting God. And also, whereas Zephaniah stressed um, Judah's idolatry, so it's more like a religious things. Habakkuk uh, stressed about the injustice in the society. So these two work together. I, I told you that law has two components. It's about worshiping God, the religious part, and social justice. So the religious part is addressed by Zephaniah, and uh, the social injustice is addressed by Habakkuk. And also the, the, uh, the humility that I stress so much is uh, uh, stress in Zephaniah, but Habakkuk said we need to have faith. So these two are the two components that we, uh, they are complementary, so we need both. So let's look at Habakkuk's first complaint. What does he complain about? It's too hot. <laughs> what do, you, do you remember what he complains about? It's a question about the Odyssey, I said. <laughs> why does evil prosper, or why, how come they are not judged? Because God is God of uh, justice, right? So he's, he sees evil in his community, society, and asks, God, you are, uh, what happened to your justice? Does anyone have you the same question? No? <laughs> No, we are okay. <laughs> Everything works. <laughs> we like injustice. <laughs> so, what is God's answer when He complains about it? <laughs> so, the first response that God said is in verse uh, five through eleven. What's what does He say about? Injustice in the society. You guys don't remember anything about Habakkuk? <laughs> it takes us a day. <laughs> What's God's answer? You know, the first response to uh, Habakkuk's uh, question about God's justice. That is not quite the first response. The first response, God said, oh, in, in modern language, it's like this. Oh, injustice? Don't worry about it. I will punish them by bringing even more evil one. I will bring international bully, <laughs> Babylons, and then I will punish them. Don't worry about it. Right, yeah. yeah. Babylon is worse than the, the people who are practicing injustice in Jerusalem. So, but God says, don't worry about it. I'll punish them by bringing international bully. So Habakkuk has to stretch his head and, um, God, I understand that you are, you are um, you know, eternal. And are you okay 
with that? How how can you tolerate um, the one who is more treacherous than Judah? Um, did I did I um, understand you right? You know, so that was his question in verses twelve through seventeen, basically. He could not believe that God will bring Babylon to restore his justice. The bully <laughs> will come and restore justice. How will that happen? Now you guys should be interested in this book. <laughs> and he has nine objections. Um, so it's from verse one, uh, 14 through 16. He says, the Babylonians will uh, pull up the righteous uh, with the hooks. It's like you know, fish, fish hook. And so they are very uh, treacherous and uh, cruel people. The second, they catches the righteous in their, in their net and gathers, uh, gathers them up in uh, their dragnet. So it's a basically a fisherman's language. He's using fisherman's language. And these people are horrible people. And verse 15, it says that, okay, after doing that, Babylonians do not repent. They are actually, they rejoice and be glad about their catch. After having done evil, they are glad. And then the last part, um, they sacrifice to their net and make offerings. And um, so are you okay with this? Um, they live in luxury and enjoy rich food. And God, you are God of justice. Is it okay? Are you going to keep on tolerating this? If so, how long? And then he says, verse 17, I am going to wait until God answers this. So he shows like dogged perseverance. It's more like Job. I am not going to uh, back, back, up, uh, back up until, you know, um, God answers. So maybe we are, tend, we tend to um, expect instantaneous answer. God will fix evil right away. But it doesn't happen. So Habakkuk's attitude is struggling with God, asking him questions, and he's going to wait until God answer, answers. That's what we need to do. It's a Jacob's, uh, Jacob's struggle with God. Because mm. if God answers uh, our problems right away and restores justice right away, then it's good, but our character does not grow because we are catered in all the time. Um, so we don't... We don't grow, we don't struggle without struggle. So he's waiting. And let's see what God says in chapter two. So this is his um, response to Habakkuk's second complaint. Verse two The Lord answered me, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. It's so plain, so easy, the fonts are big, so that people who run can actually read it. Make it very plain, basically. Um, and verse 3, for still the vision awaits its appointed time. So that's an eschatological time, that it will be fulfilled in the last day. 
it hastened to the end, but it will not lie. So it'll come true. And if it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. So the waiting is hard, guys. But when we are waiting, we grow in character. And he says, uh, I mean, you know, the Babylonians, they are, well, chapter 1, verse 7, they are not, um, their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. What that means is that they make law by themselves. Their strength is their God. That's, verse, uh, that's what it says in verse 11. So these people do not care about God. They make law on their own. They laugh at God's law. But then in chapter 2, verse 4, it says, Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. So that is a personified of Babylon. But the righteous shall live by his faith. So it's, uh, it sounds like the righteous have to persevere and live by faith. It can be that way, but when you look at uh, the Hebrew, it sounds more like the righteous by faith shall live. Because uh, by faith, um, that uh, modifies um, the righteous. There is a difference. Do you see that? The righteous shall live by faith. The righteous person shall live by faith. But I see more, it's uh, the righteous by faith shall live. Who lives? The righteous one by faith. So, and that that um, corresponds to uh, Genesis fifteen six when um, Abraham's faith in in the Lord is reckoned to him as righteousness. So, righteous by faith shall live. So, in the same context here, God says, "You have faith, then you will live." Then God mentions um, five woes in verse 6 through 20. First woe, verses 6 through 8, the victims of extortion will take revenge. So those who suffer by Babylon, they will, um, they will take revenge. In verse 9 through 11, the second woe, those who build security by unjust gain will be exposed to public shame, meaning that Babylon will be shamed. Verses 12 through 14, the third woe. It's a warning against building a city using violence, which is kind of similar to the second woe. And then all of a sudden, it says, verse 14, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Uh, this verse came from Isaiah 11:9. So this is a messianic prophecy. In the Messianic kingdom, no one will act badly. So basically, God says that there will, in, in the last day, everything will work out. And some, some people like Babylonians cannot stand in the last day because the whole earth will be full of God's knowledge and righteousness of God will be restored there. Does it make it more clear? So the theme of the day of the Lord appears here and in other um, 
prophecies, Zephaniah, Zechariah, Malachi. So again, as we discussed yesterday, our ultimate hope is the eschatological hope, that the day of the Lord, that that will be the day of judgment for some, but that, that will be the day of salvation for us. So that's our hope. And then the fourth O is written in verse 15 through 17. Um, Babylon, who shamed others, will be put to shame. So that is mentioned in second row and is repeated. And the final woe is in verse 18 through 20. Um, it's futile to trust in lifeless, crea- uh, lifeless idols. So it mentions idols made by human. Um, they teach lie, cannot speak, cannot come to life, cannot wake up cannot give guidance, it has no breath. So it's, uh, it's dumb to uh, trust idols. And verse 20 says, but the Lord is in his holy temple. So God is completely the opposite of idols. And let all the earth keep silence before him. No one can speak anything uh, before him because God is um, above and beyond everybody's expectation. So with that revelation, Habakkuk prays in chapter 3. And um, he talks about um, verse 2. says, O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. So his fear is in the field of faith. It's fear of the Lord. This, that's a wisdom. Chapter 1, verse 5, Habakkuk warns the reader about lacking faith. And he's saying, um, so uh, the, you know, God's answer to Habakkuk says, look among the nations what I have done. So you look at the history and see what God had done. And then chapter 2, verse 4, where if you have faith, you will live. And then in chapter 3, verse 2, Habakkuk is saying, Lord, now I understand. I have that faith. I, I've seen what you have done. So now I will trust in you, and I will live in that trust and fear. So um, verses 3 through 8, he mentions new exodus, um, the uh, geographical names of Timon, that's a southern Palestine, Paran, uh, Mount Paran, that's on the uh, this, uh, southern part as well. So there is a connotation of an exodus here, new exodus. The exodus, they came from Egypt, from south. So now so things are coming from south. And then verse 11, there is a connotation of uh, Joshua, the sun and moon stood still in their place. So, so that battle of Joshua, that's the extension of Exodus. And then uh, uh, verses 13 through 15, God's paradigmic victory over Pharaoh is mentioned. So as Pharaoh, uh, God had a victory over Pharaoh, he will have victory over Babylon as well. So history gives us lesson that God has been faithful. So then, after saying the prayer, his attitude is changed. Let's look at verse 16. I hear, what, what does he hear? 
doesn't say. The the coming um, army, the the you know the footprints, uh, footsteps of the army. That's Babylonian army. I hear, and my body trembles. It's like you are waiting for the word, so your body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet, I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Now he has the confidence, even though he is scared. So verse 17, he says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. This is a faith, isn't it? Everything will fail, but yet I will rejoice in the Lord without any material goods. Even though we will be devastated by the invasion, I will rejoice. Can we do that? It's a challenge. So this is the result of struggling with God. Without that struggle, we don't get there. We will just complain. We'll be just scared we won't be able to say, yet I will rejoice. But when you are in this position, yes, you are scared a little bit, but you don't have to be shaken. You know, your foundation doesn't have to be shaken because you know what God will do. You can trust him. The last uh, sentence in this chapter to the choir master with the stringed instruments can be um, translated differently because the word choir master has a second meaning that means one who endures. And string instrument has another meaning which is my afflictions. So those who endure in afflictions can have hope in God. Tough message. <laughs> yeah. I hope things will get easy, but I am sorry. That's not the message that the prophets say to us. <laughs> One who endures in afflictions can have hope in God. Um, so the theme... Is the day of the Lord here? Um, the insight that I can share about the book is that Habakkuk did not gain wisdom regarding why the wicked prospered, did he? But he learned to trust God because God has an unchanging purpose of saving his people. And at the end of the day, his justice will prevail. Why? We don't know. <laughs> but yet we can trust him. So it's a hard issue, right? We, our brain wants to know why, but when it's not fed, we still can trust in our heart. Any question, comment?
Now, I know that, you know, when I ask you tomorrow, what's the first complaint of a hibaku? You guys will all remember. <laughs> what's the first complaint? Mm -hmm. So what was God's answer? Don't worry. <laughs> I'll bring bully. <laughs> yeah. In life, we may have those situations. We can come back to this book. <laughs> and then I am going to move on to, let's see. Position, yeah, it shows. I'm gonna close this one. I'm gonna move on to Zephaniah. Okay, I'm going to move on to my Zephaniah notes. Okay, again, same time, so I'm not going to talk about the historical background. Um, Zephaniah means Yahweh is a hidden. Okay. <laughs> Things don't look good, guys. <laughs> Yahweh is hidden. Um, Josiah's reign. So what's interesting about this book is the, um, it, this book has a um, connection to Genesis. So... In chapter one, I'm gonna go to my notes. Human beings, animals, birds, uh, fish, they are mentioned. And of course, you guys know that in Genesis chapter one and uh, one, they are mentioned in creation. And also the language from Genesis is used here. Everything from upon the surface of the earth so that has connection to Genesis chapter 2, 4, 7. And then the Hebrew word I wrote there, you guys already know that one, believe it or not. Um, this is Adam. Adam means a human being, humankind, man. And this is Adama, very similar to Adam, right? When you look at the letter, it's a, it's the same letter, and it's added just one one uh, letter here. So it's Adama. Adama means land. Man has a very close relationship with the land. So uh, in verse three, Adam and Adama is mentioned, as in Genesis two. The face of the earth is mentioned here, as in Genesis six and seven. And um, so Zephaniah's message is God will destroy his creation, which has in essence been destroyed already by the perversion of the cult. So people has been, um, uh, you know, using uh, the gift wrong. So it's already not serving the purpose that God had. So he's going to take away the gift. So God will destroy everything. And he says, I'm going to destroy nations. I'm going to destroy Israel. It's like God is so mad at everything. It feels that way. 
And then、um, chapter two mentions some locations, and like three locations came from the list in Genesis ten, which has、uh, the table of nations. So again, there is a relationship with Genesis. And thirdly, chapter three of Zephaniah mentions the pure speech of the Gentiles.、Um, so that is a kind of reversal of a, uh, the effect of uh, Babel in Genesis eleven. So Zephaniah had in mind of、uh, Genesis when he wrote this book. We're going to look at structure. So introduction. So it's kind of interesting. Universal judgment and Judah, and announcement of the day of Yahweh, and then、um, day of Yahweh. So that's a judgment of Jerusalem. Then、uh, judgment of、uh, everyone else, and then call to respond. Oracles against nations. So this is a part that、um, the Israelites can say, "Yay! They will be destroyed because、uh, their sin is is basically they did not treat、uh, Judah right. So they will be punished." And then restoration of the nations and Israel. So this book,、um, even though there is a favoritism on Jew,、uh, Jewish people, I'm going to talk about that.、Um, why God favors Jewish people, but it has a very universal message that destruction is universal and restoration is universal as well. So the themes, the day of the Lord. That's a day of judgment and restoration. We we already mentioned that.、Um, so universal scale of destruction due to the sin of humanity, but the nations are judged because they uh, disregarded, um, they taunted Israelites. So why is it wrong to、um, you know to mock at Israelites? The nations mocked at Israelites, and from God's point of view, theologically, that is not right. Why? Hmm. Okay. Israelites represent who God is, so mocking at them is a mockery to God, right? So, same way, when someone mocks at you. They are mocking at God. You know, someone mock at you because of your faith, not because you know you are doing something wrong. <laughs> your faith, then they are mocking at God. When that happens, I feel I feel fear because this person does not know that, right? Some this person who mocks at me does not know the consequence of、uh, what you know he or she is doing. And and then I have I, I get fearful, I I get fearful for that person, and、um, so that you know recently that happened you know within family, so I had to beg that person. You can laugh at me, but please don't laugh at my faith, because the consequence is just you can't imagine the consequence, right? So we have to. Protect the name of God that is invested in us, and that's a huge responsibility. That means I should not do anything、um, in a blatant, 
you know, like sin, blatant uh, lies, because I misrepresent God, then a lot of people will be misled because of my unholy behavior. The consequence is big. So as I said, don't ask me, is it legal or not? No, we are not, in, we are not operating on that level. We are op operating on the higher level of a principle that are we representing his holiness or not? And these nations uh, and also Israelites will be punished because of arrogance. Arrogance right away is a mockery at God. I am like a God, or I am better than God. I can decide what is good or evil. I can do this way. I can disregard him. So right away, that's mockery at God. So, you know, it, it is a, you know, asking a punishment. So without humility, we cannot see God. And Judah is punished, verses 4 to 6, because um, it's idolatry, it's complacent attitude toward God, it's arrogance, show that they are not any different from other nations. Then they have no reason to exist because Judah is created, the, the nation of Israel is created to be the kingdom of priests. Mm. But they're not any different from other, other nations. Then why, would, why, why God, does God need another nation like any, any other nation? He doesn't need that. Right, so it's the same way. When when I apply the principle to myself, when I'm like everybody else and just sinning like everybody else, I am not following God. I am not doing what He's asking to me. And how could I claim that I am God's child? So I God has a favor on me. I cannot do that. Right. So um. That's why we have to be separate from the rest of the world. We should not behave like the rest of the world. You know, the good parts, yes, we should follow, but not the bad parts, right? The church should be different from any other organization. Church cannot fight within like other, other organizations. Then church is not any different from other, other organizations, and it has no reason to exist. That's why Jesus said, when you love each other, that, that people will know that you are my disciples. So Judah lost its character, its function as a kingdom of priests. And by the way, guys, the kingdom of priests is not something new in the Bible. The kingdom of priests go back all the way to Genesis, Genesis 1. God called Adam and Eve. God created them to with the, the image of God. That is, you guys are priests here. So the work that Adam had done, that actually has a um, kind of connotation of a priestly work. So when he governed, when he conquered, it's a bringing the, the, the creation into worshiping God. That was the role of Adam and Eve. That's the image of God as a, the, the king's image. So then when it became, that image is conferred to a nation of Israel, they are called to be the kingdom of priests. And now that is given to the church, not just one nation, but the whole church. That includes us. <laughs> we are the priests. <laughs> and we should 
take up that role. We should represent God's holiness. So the day of the Lord is a day of restoration as well. It's a warning to the unfaithful and the promise to those who endure unjust conditions. Um, so the uh, chapter one shows grand scale of destruction and chapter three show the restoration of the whole universe. So judgment is necessary for restoration as we discussed. Israel, the remnant, so who are the remnants? The remnant issue shows here. So let's go to chapter three. Maya, would you read verse 11 and 12? On that day, you shall not be put to shame because of the deeds by which you have, um, you have rebelled against me. For then I will remove from your midst your proudly exult on ex Exultant, Exultant once. So talking about the Israelites here, so they will be purified, and remnants are again humble and lowly people, and they will speak and act with integrity. And the Gentiles will be included in the remnants as well. So let's go to chapter 2. So chapter 2, um, verse 3. So Dave, would you read chapter 2, verse 3? The Lord, all you humble in the land, will do his just commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility, perhaps you may be hidden on the day of anger of the Lord. Yeah. So again, um, there is a common ground here about the remnant. That is humility, right? And uh, chapter 3, verse 9, it's again, it's about the Gentiles. So Harley, would you read chapter 3, verse 9? For at that time, I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. Yep. So uh, purified lips to worship him together. So that's the, um, the common trait of the restored, the remnant. The purified lips. Our lips are, um, you know, most of the sins are committed by what we say. Job's friends were fine when, when they were silent and just, you know, um, grieved with him for seven days. And when, started, when they started speaking, all kinds of evil came out of their mouth. Mm. So humility and pure speech are the common traits of the restored. And we talk more of the, um, the, uh, of, of the remnant. So this um, is the undoing of the effect of Babel. And in Babel, they said, we will make ourselves uh, known. We will be, become famous. So here, God says, chapter 3, verse 20, um, in the middle, he says, for I will make you renowned and praised. So he, he will undo um, the, uh, the uh, Babel, and he will um, give his name so that they will be known as God's people. 
according to uh, a, a theologian named Shepherd, he says, they will take refuge in the name of the Lord, and the Lord will give his people a name among the nations precisely because they will truly bear his name, bearing his name. Then um, God will give his name to us among the nations. So disrespecting Israel is disrespecting God's plan for redemption of humanity because that's a task given to the Israelites. You guys show who God is, and through that, the humanity will be saved. But when Israel does not do that, they are punished. When the nations do not respect that, they are punished. But um, after the punishment, God will restore. So now I'm sure you are confident about your calling. Okay, I'm going to just go over a couple of expressions that you may have question. Chapter 1, verse 8. So he says, I will punish the officials and the king's sons and all who array themselves in foreign attire. So foreign attire here means that they are assimilated to the people who are not, uh, who are not God's people. So they are following the foreign customs of idolatry. And chapter 1, verse 9, uh, says, On that day I will punish everyone who leaps over the threshold. What does that mean? We should not leap over the threshold. <laughs> but these are the things that you should notice when you read. Ah, oh, I don't understand this. <laughs> It's uh, chapter 1, verse 9. Does everybody know what the threshold is? Mm-hmm. It's in reference to First uh, Samuel chapter 5, verse 5. Do you remember what happened? Dagon fell. And that became the custom of uh, Philistines that they don't step on the threshold, they leap over. So this talking about the, uh, the Philistines' uh, pra- uh, um, the, uh, custom. So again, following the foreigners' custom. Do you remember that? Hello? <laughs> Chapter 1, verse 12. At the time, I will search Jerusalem with lambs, and I will punish the men who are complacent. Complacent. So this expression comes from winemaking. So when you make, I never made wine, so I read this. So when, when you make wine, the grapes have a sediment you know, on the bottom, and when you leave there for too long, it becomes really thick and syrupy, and it it ruins the whole wine. So you're not doing anything. You're not moving, and you're not really making yourself you know, useful. You're just sitting there. It's a kind of indulgent lifestyle. So uh, in Revelation, this is like people who are not hot, not you know, cold, and just, um, just whatever. It's okay. And uh, so the complacent attitude. Chapter 2, verse 13. 
and which we should uh, we see in Jeremiah and here too in in verse 12 the lord will not do good nor will he do ill so god is considered powerless or indifferent god will not do anything um yeah he's not really interested in our world you know he created us but he's not really involved that is called a deism many people have deistic understanding of god that God is way up there, and he does not in, uh, intervene in, in our affairs. Mm. Then, let's see. Okay. Um, the um, chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, is a... Very good example of a woe oracle. So it has an introduction in verse 1. Verses 2 to three, 7, it shows accusation, what they had done wrong. And then last verse, verse 8, is the announcement of judgment, which we see quite often in prophets. And the verses 14 and 15 in chapter 3, it says, sing aloud, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel, rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. So um, this sing aloud and this uh, message of joy is um, repeated in Zechariah chapter 2, verse 10 and Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. So people who, you know, edited these, uh, you know, um, the minor prophets are called the Book of Twelve because there are 12 uh, minor prophets. Book of Twelve have inner connections, and the, this message is kind of, you know, it kind of jumps over uh, Haggai and then it goes to Zechariah, and it's repeated there. So there is an intention of uh, um, when you know someone put together um, these books. So that's uh, some you know kind of interesting information. Any question? And from now on, I know that you heard enough about humility, humility, humility. So humble, <laughs> pure speech. Any comment? <laughs> Before we move on to Ezekiel. Good? Good, good, good. Now you understand about Dagon and leaping over threshold. Okay, and I'm going to close this. I'm going to close that too. Then, okay. I'm going to go Ezekiel and slideshow. Okay. All right. I like to focus on one book. So when, when I have several books to teach, I'm kind of confused. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm relieved that we are done with those two books. Ezekiel. How do you like Ezekiel? It's just so straightforward. 
Yeah, nothing to teach. Okay, let's go home. <laughs> it has lots of images. Okay. Um, so the date of the book is um, around the time of the fall of Jerusalem. So it's, it's written, it covers the period seven years before the fall of Jerusalem. And um, then it covers, I, think, I believe, 15 years after. So it covers about 22 years. Um, but as I said before, um, Ezekiel lived in um, Babylon. You guys know that. So Ezekiel did not experience the kind of persecution that Jeremiah experienced. So here we have, so we talked about 605 and then 580. Now 598 is a time that Ezekiel uh, went exiled with Jehoiachin. Remember that guy, you know, he was a king only for three months and then he was taken to uh, Babylon. So Ezekiel um, was, was among that group. And 593, he was called and fall of Jerusalem is 587. So a uh, seven-year period of, uh, you know, the, of course, we'll hear the message of uh, judgment here. And after the fall, we'll hear the uh, message of a restoration. So it's pretty straightforward. Okay. The social, political, religious issues, the same as uh, Jeremiah, that there was a widespread syncretism and also um, that Zion theology, uh, pride about their nation. So the exiles expected that we will go home very soon, that God will restore us. So that was the expectation. So, uh, of course, you know, Ezekiel speaks against that Zion theology. Um, and then we see the conflict between uh, Jerusalemites and then deportees. Because the people who are in Jerusalem, in a way, didn't want the deportees to come back. Because uh, they can you know, enjoy all these spaces left um, by the deportees. So we see a little bit of that story in this book. Theological issues. First, God's name is very important in this book more so than in uh, Jeremiah. His name is known as God Almighty in the Abrahamic covenant, and that name was used most often in Genesis. Then in Exodus, we see that he said, this is a holy ground. So we, we see his holiness in Mosaic covenant. So upholding his Holiness is the whole purpose of the, uh, the temple. So there are lots of regulations so that God's holiness will not be violated. Um, and in Israelites' apostasy, so their idolatry and you know, injustice profaned God's name. So then, then the rest of the, the nations cannot know who God is because Israel you know, does not do their job. So, and God's name is... Um, you know, misused and misunderstood by nations because Israel was not, you know, uh, practicing uh, righteousness. So it's like God condones their misdeeds. So they had to be uh, judged. 
And then they became nobody. They are exiled. They are treated like scums. Then God's name is profaned again because God's people, oh, God could not protect his people. And Yahweh is not a very good God. So then God had the agenda of uh, restoring them to uh, protect his name. Um, <clears throat> so I, you know, I say Yahweh pretty often. Um, Yahweh is a Hebrew word. Do you know um, the relationship between the word Yahweh and Jehovah? Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's right. The vowels of Adonai, which is uh, the Lord. So when you see the Lord in the Bible, that is Yahweh in Hebrew. But um, the the uh, the Israelites didn't pronounce God's name. So they when whenever they see Yahweh, even now they say Adonai. So so it's a it's the same thing. Jehovah Yahweh, the Lord, it's the same thing. Um, but you know they they respect literally his name, so they don't pronounce it Yahweh. But he's God, you know that that name Yahweh represents. I said he's a God who rescues his people from from uh, the slavery, and he brings them to the land. So he's God who restores. So this name of Yahweh is a, a lot more personal connotation that he is concerned about well-being of his people. While when he says, I am God Almighty, it just shows that he is sovereign God and he's powerful. So that name of Yahweh is very important in this book because in this book, they will know my name or they will know me is repeated 55 times in this book. And that is repeated often in, uh, the, uh, um, in Exodus. So, and then next issue is a syncretism versus monotheism. The temple functions um, as, an, uh, as an intermediary between Yahweh and creation. So it has to keep that holiness to represent Yahweh, and it has to um, um, be a place where people come and sacrifice and they, so that they can have the relationship with God. But the temple lost that function because the Israelites did not keep it holy. So it's mixing up, right? Yeah. I think we mentioned that on the first day. Mm. So, so, and also the temple issue, as I said before, um, is a big concern for the, um, the exiles because they don't have a temple anymore. So how can we keep, um, you know, that, uh, um, how can we keep us, uh, you know, that uh, sanctified and we can maintain holiness. That's a big concern for the exiles. So, uh, you know, at the end of the Ezekiel, you know, he shows the restored the temple picture that has to do with the issues of the temple that are a uh, big concern for the uh, original readers. And then the Mosaic Covenant versus Zion theology. You guys know what Zion theology is already. Um, 
So um, they thought that, okay, you know, we have the temple laws, so we are okay, you know, God will protect us. So they just took the part of a Levitical blessing, but they disregarded the, the Levitical curse. The, uh, the, um, the, the book of uh, Leviticus ends with, a, you know, that choice between blessings and curse, but they took only one part, blessings. And we, we will be in, um, we will continue in blessings no matter what we do. And they disregarded the curse. So that is, you know, shows, the book shows very clearly, yes, the Leviticus comes in to, with the two, uh, uh, condition. Uh, and as Jeremiah showed. So God, uh, destroys the very symbol of who Israel is. Temple and Jerusalem. <laughs> you guys trust temple and Jerusalem? Okay, I'm gonna just uh, destroy them, and let's see where you, you, your trust will be. So the book of Ezekiel answers these questions: Why exile? It's because of their sin. It's because of the Levitical curse. So then, did God fail to establish a kingdom of priests? Because it's God's agenda, right? Um, so God says, no, I did not fail. I will restore. And then, um, so it, um, then the next question is, can Israelites still be the people of God? So it, this is a question about God's intention. And God says, I am faithful and I will continue to be faithful to Abraham and Moses. And he will vindicate his holiness in judgment and also restoration. So the new temple and land division in chapters 40 to 48 correct the false expectation for the, their religion and the nation of Israel. This is a new vision. This is what you should have had from the very beginning. But it'll be restored this way. Um, and that vision is a theocentric, so God is in the center, theocentric, and God dwells with his people. So that restoration picture at the end of the, this book is connected to Revelation. So here we see that the whole city is one temple, but in Revelation there is no temple because the city functions as a, as a, a temple. And these two pictures are connected to Genesis chapter 2, the Garden of Eden. So that's the, uh, the prototype of the temple. The so temple is basically where God dwells with his people. That's the function of the temple. And of course, in Genesis, the sacrifice was not necessary. But then for the people who are in a fallen world, God has given the temple so that Eden can be restored in a limited way, in a limited scale. But they were not very successful. So God gives this vision in Ezekiel, and that vision continues through Jesus, who is the temple, and then it is um, consummated in Revelation. So the, the Bible is just one story. It shows the, the grand picture of God's plan for salvation. Does it make sense? Any question?
comment? So when God says that the Savior is going to be executed, or bring up the manual, it's the Old Testament that he brings up the manual prayer. Oh, yeah, I couldn't hear you very well, so uh, even though the camera, I'm out of camera range, I have to go closer to you. So in the Old Testament, when God brings up the um, the new king, or I don't know how he phrases it, but Emmanuel, okay. the people know that Emmanuel means God with us, mm -hmm. that's alluding to him being the temple, correct? So um, this new king that is promised in um, Isaiah is uh, the branch, so David's uh, uh, descendant. So that is prophesied. So, that, you know, instead of these uh, corrupt kings, God will bring new king and new kingdom. So that comes in one package. But in the Old Testament, the, the idea is not super clear about that the, the king himself will be um, the savior. And at the same time, he is the temple is himself. So that's that idea. You know, the New Testament uh, readers, the, the contemporaries of Jesus Christ, had no idea when Jesus said that I'm going to destroy this temple and rebuild in three days. Even his disciples had no idea what he was talking about. So as Jesus revealed more and more and more, and when the Holy Spirit came after his resurrection, then the, the disciples understood what he, he said. So the prophecy does not show the photograph of what will it will be. It shows here a little bit, here a little bit. So um, it's a you know sometimes the picture is not very clear. Sometimes you know when you add up the picture, you it's like a puzzle. You have a better picture. Um, any other question? We're just tired. <laughs> okay. Ezekiel. So uh, chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the 30th year, there are discussions, but a lot of scholars think that the 30th year is uh, mentions Ezekiel's age. So he, in, in, um, in Leviticus, the, high pri the priests are called to, uh, to, to work in the temple when they are 30. So Ezekiel could have not been a, a priest because there was no temple <laughs> in, in the uh, exiled land. So when he was 30, instead of uh, becoming priest, God called him to be the prophet. So there are a dozen visions in this book. And um, God's presence is mentioned seven times. So this is really unprecedented. There are a lot of the pictures, um, you know, the images. And so his experience is definitely very um, just, uh, you know, photographic and, um, you know, uh, abundant visions here. Mm. So because his ministry started at age 30 and the, the, the prophecy covers tw about 22 years, he ends his prophecy about when he was 50. So that's the normal time of serving for the, the priests. Um, 
So he was concerned about the temple because you know he came from the you know priest family. So that's why you know there is a picture of a temple being uh, you know that contaminated and then restored a big part of uh, his vision. And his uh, kind of co the uh, connection to priest is uh, interpreted by scholars that you know he was um, in chapter three. He was uh, silent by the uh, Kiva ri River. You know, in Hebrew, it should be Kibar, Kibar Canal. Um, for you know, he was silent for seven days. So that it corresponds to the uh, ordination process of a high priest we talked about yesterday. That they are at the gate for seven days, and um, from. So the question about how can one be purified without the temple and sacrifices, he gives the answer that repentance and returning to the covenantal faithfulness replaces the, um, the uh, purification process that was done in the temple. So it's about heart issue. Without the temple, yes, you can be purified through repentance and returning to the covenantal faithfulness. So his message is uh, uh, focused on holiness. Okay. Mm All right. Pretty much the whole um, book is written chronologically. There are one place that it, I think it's two places about the oracles of, of the about the nations. There are two places it wasn't done um, chronologically, but his experience is much more uh, straightforward than um, in terms of chronology than uh, Jeremiah. Um, there are strange pictures in this book that are, we are not familiar with those because they are influenced by the Assyrian culture. Um, so for the original readers, they are not something too strange to us. And as the genre-wise, let's see. Yeah, chronology is written here. Okay. Um, there, are, there are a few uh, scholars who see the whole book as a city lament. And there are some other, you know, examples in ancient uh, the uh, um, ancient literature that followed this format of a city lament. So divine abandonment and assignment of responsibility, destruction, then weeping goddess here, lamentation, and the restoration of the city. So I thought about it. Is it important for us to you know, dig into this type of uh, literature? I don't think so. But we just understand that okay, there are other literature that kind of uh, were formed in you know with the same type of uh, um, that uh, you know format. But I you know there are others who have a dif different opinions. Of course, scholars always have different opinions about ev just about everything. Mm -hmm. So um, other forms, oracles definitely. So there are many formulas that people see in this book. Again, I don't think they are that important. So people come up with the names, you know, messenger formula, thus says the Lord, that would happen 150 times in this book. 
So you know, Ezekiel was a messenger. We we all know that, <laughs> right? And then prophetic word formula: the word of the Lord came to. Okay, what does it mean? You know, we already know that. You know, this is a prophecy. So to me, it's not you know that important. Um, commissioning formula: go and say. There are some symbolic actions in the book: apocalyptic, allegory. Um, I'm going to talk about structure. I think this is much more interesting and important. Mm, okay. One thing about uh, the genre is that Ezekiel does not use uh, much about the prophetic formula, which is if you repent, then... Um, you know, this will happen, you know, that you will be restored. That We saw that in Jeremiah, but in this book, we don't see that so much. You know, there may be a few places that it says, a couple of places, but it doesn't really say, because the audience is already, they went through already the destruction of the Jerusalem, and they are in, you know, they are exilic community. So the purpose for Ezekiel is explaining um why that that uh, that disaster happened in Jerusalem? So he aims to encourage covenantal faithfulness and hope for the uh, exilic community. Structure. Chapters one through twenty-four. Oracles against Jerusalem: a time to mourn. It starts with the prediction of uh, the city's siege and closes with the prediction of its fall. And there is an indictment pattern because you have done this, therefore this judgment will come. God will abandon the temple. That's a shocking for Israelites that God can abandon the pattern. They thought that God was glued to their temple. But no, God can abandon. So that's shocking. And the section ends with the death of uh, Ezekiel's own wife. And the warning, you know, that um, which is a quite powerful uh, scene of how Hebrew mourning is different from, uh, you know, modern days mourning. And chapter twenty-five through thirty-two, oracles against nations. So there is a lament for the nations. Shows God's sovereignty over the nations. God is not just God of uh, one nation, because that's what the ancient people thought that you know there is a Babylonian God who governs the affairs of Babylon. There is a God of uh, Philistine. There's a God of Israelites. But God shows that I am God all over the place. So His sovereignty is shown by judging the nations, and judging the nations means hope for Israelite because they can come home and they will be restored. And chapter three, 33 is in, in the stuck in the middle, the fall of Jerusalem. So that means the end of the mourning period. 34 through 38, it's a restoration time, time to rejoice. Um, God will provide new and faithful leadership. I did not write there. And Israel will be cleansed. They will be given life, cleansing of the land. Rebuilding the sanctuary, uh, the temple city will be uh, reestablished. So, you know, temple and city at the same time. The whole city is temple, so we call temple city. 
the name of the city shall be the Lord is there. So Eden, where God um, God dwelt with the people, will be restored. The Lord is there. So it's a fulfillment of the covenant, restoring his profane name, and at the same time, it's the reestablishment of uh, the, um, the Eden. Okay. Any comment? Question? I know that you guys are waiting to chapter three. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you want me to get there? <laughs> Inaugural vision. The date is 593 BC. We can't even calculate it. This is July 31st of 593 BC. At that time, according to Jeremiah 27, um, Zedekiah, Moab, Ammon, Edom, Tyre, all these small nations got together and they were plotting against Babylon. So there is some hope that we can have independence. That means um, the exiles can go home. So the exile community was full of hope. And then there was a blow that Ezekiel got this vision. No, 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 that's not going to happen. The living creatures. So I'm going to see whether... This is... Okay, already this one. Okay. I, I have the picture of the living creatures here. This is from Assyrian, um, you know, art. Uh, the four faces of a human, lion, ox, and eagle. That's probably had been a kind of, you know, a familiar image to them. So this is a kind of mixture of a four demons in the Mesopotamian tradition of a you know, human and one with the human with the bull's legs and the other one, um, the human body and lion's head, um, and then human body with the head of bird. So, um, but the, the images are used here that everything in the world is supporting God, right? Because they are the, the kind of sort of uh, the beings that support God's throne here. What is shocking is that God's throne is not glued in the temple, but it actually travels. Ooh. The storm theophany, again, God's appearance with the storm, like fiery coals, lightning, um, the wings. These are the images that we already saw in 2 Samuel. And when God appears in Exodus, there is like thunder, light storm. So God, it's um, unlike you know, our experience with God quietly in the closet, you know, prayer closet, Old Testament comes with the fanfare, you know, with a lot of uh, like um, shaking the world to show his power. Um, We will talk more about these creatures in chapter 10, I think. Yeah, because it it has a, you know, again, there is a description about these creatures in chapter 10. Um, this and um, the creatures have a very disciplined movement. They go straight, right? And they are in unison. Um, 
and they are swift. So because they are four, they have the, they are access to all the four corners of the earth. That's what the ancients thought, that there are four corners of the earth. And they are the agents of a divine judgment. And about God, Ezekiel does not describe God himself, what he looks like, but he describes the divine glory. Again, you know, you can't see God in the Old Testament. So you just see the representation of uh, his glory. Um, the image communicates his commanding presence in the world. And what's shocking is that his glory is not in the temple, but mobile. And in Babylon, his presence is there. That is shocking for the original readers. And uh, so this is a radical theology that God is universal. That be, Because he is universal, the exiles can worship God even in Babylon without the temple. It also makes them wonder about the significance of the temple. If God is glued to the temple, yes, temple is absolutely necessary. But if God is not there, what is the function of the temple? They have to rethink. Um, and God's glory is not in Jerusalem? Then maybe Jerusalem was not as important as we thought. So it starts, you know, makes them question. Um, there is another picture of, a, this is again Assyrian art, um, and it shows how they perceived God with the wings, and you know, he's about to he's a, um, engage in battle. So the Lord of hosts, what does it mean? What, is, what does host mean? A lot of people, but they are they have a specific function. It's army. When you say the Lord of hosts, he is the commander of the army. God is about to be engaged uh, to engage in, in the war um, to save his people. So um So, commissioning of Ezekiel. <clears throat> God addresses to Ezekiel, son of man, son of man. Um, in Hebrew, it is ben Adam, so um, son of man. But man mean is kind of, um, he's a representative of humanity. And so he kind of contrasts it to the glory and power of God. But he's representing, you know, humanity because he's a, he uh, comes from the high priest family and also he's a, a prophet. And it seems like he's the only one who, um, who actually understands God's heart. So it's like that's what the other people should have, uh, should have done. But there is only one person who is, represents true humanity. So this term, when it's used here, is different from in, uh, how it is used in Daniel. I mean, there is a, um, that 
that connotation of a representing human, humanity there. But in Daniel, a son of man is a someone who receives the kingdom. So it's kind of different. Um, and G- when Jesus called himself son of man, he is a saying in the context of a Daniel. And um, God said that, you know, this, this is a rebellious people. They will not listen to you. So this is same as Jeremiah. You know, there is no persecution, but they will not hear you. But I'm, I'm you know, calling you to speak anyway. Why? If people are, is, are not going to hear him, why should Ezekiel speak? Okay, but when God calls him to speak, when people, you know, are not going to hear, why? Are not going to the same thing. Well, I mean, you can hear a message and not really listen to it. So, but he wants them to have a chance to respond. Yeah. So, not only chance to respond, and he said that they will know that there was a prophet. So they have no excuse later on. They couldn't couldn't say that. Well, nobody told us. They haven't. You know, they can't say that. Um, so there is a little expectation about the heart change of the listeners, sadly. And Ezekiel ate the scroll, and the scroll, the content of the scroll is in verse uh, chapter three, verse. Oh, no, chapter 2, verse 10. Uh, There were written on it words of lamentation, mourning, and woe. So judgment is already decided. It's an irrevocable reality. So this um, act of uh, eating the scroll is a, is a parallel to um, the priest's consumption of a sin offering. You know, in the right in Leviticus, you guys read that, right? The sin offering, the the priest should eat the you know you know after they burn the intestines and you know a few other things, they have to eat the meat. So it's same way Ezekiel is eating. Uh, the guilt of the people here. So identifying with the people. Mm. And he was told to be the watchman under the penalty of death. If you don't do your job, you'll be killed. So there is a you know threat, death threat. So if people don't respond, they will die, but you will be okay. But if you don't speak, you will die. Um, so then, and the rest of the time when he's not speaking the um, the prophecy, he will be silent. In chapter, toward the end of chapter three, so he cannot reprove people um, because judgment is determined. Prophet's ministry often involves. Um, not only delivering uh, the word of God, but also praying for people. So Ezekiel cannot pray for them, um, cannot intercede for for Israelites, and 
God decided to uh, destroy them. So a point to consider here is that a mission to prophesy to rebellious people. People don't hear you. Uh, it's hard to talk to or minister or evangelize people who reject the message because we fear rejection. Naturally, we desire to win people's affection. But when you become the messenger, you need to let go. That I I want to be loved. (laughs) I want to be loved by these people. You have to let it go. And especially when the message is a tough message and people reject that. Um, And also, the the prophet should avoid judging others and let God be the judge. Because if he does not do that, he cannot do ministry due to his own anger and frustration. And ultimately, he needs to be consumed by the one who calls him. So, the first thing you should check is, do I have the calling? Without it, when it's good times, yes, it's good. But when it's not good times, you will be um, you you will um, be hurt tremendously. So something to think about. Yeah, um, loving people. That's. You know, and when they receive it, it's a lot easier. But I, I heard you know, some, um, the, uh, um, someone that he was uh, ministering in one country. I would not name, name you know, which one. But you know, he was building schools and all these things. And at night, people came and they robbed, you know, they, they took all these uh, uh, the building materials. And he's building schools and churches for them, not for himself. And they just robbed from him. And it, you know, he, he had to deal with his own anger. So what do you think about that? Can you rely on God only? Sometimes, sometimes that's how I feel kind of today. I mean, it's obviously it's a different time and maybe not quite as severe, but in some ways we're moving in that direction. I mean, and so, like... I think about most of my friends from the trail, and they're very much not of my values or ideology um, or worldview. Um, and it's it's tough because the, the messages, I mean, you see it on social media a lot, like the messages get harsher. You know, like there's certain ideologies that, like 20 years ago, you would have never imagined people would be championing, and now they are championing them. And so the message that he wants seemed like kind of a neutral but helpful message now is under duress. Um, mm-hmm. And yet God tells us to continue going. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, in some ways I feel like the years I'm coming into now are very different from the ones I imagined mm-hmm. I would be coming into um, when I first began my walk. Um, and yet there were prophets that came before. Um, 
and all I can really do is look back and say, okay, I'm, it's it's a different time, you know. I don't quite have as prominent as a role as these guys did, but he's given me a role nonetheless. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. So, uh, well, you know, the message of this week is not easy. <laughs> it's a big challenge for us. Um, but again, without anger, you are faithful to the, to, to the ministry without becoming angry and frustrated, without judging. And what I can guarantee is that your character will grow <laughs> in the process.